Chapter 1 of Captain Sparkle, Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen R. Gagan. Captain Sparkle, Pirate by Nicholas Carter. Mr. Maxwell Kane. The announcement was made by Nick Carter's valet, Joseph, who threw open the door of his master's study with a gesture as nearly approaching a flourish as any in which he ever permitted himself to indulge. Joseph had a wholesome respect for millionaires, and many a one of them came at one time and another to the detective for consultation. But it was rarely that Joseph admitted such a one as Maxwell Kane. It was a name which was an open sesame at all doors, however exclusive. It was the name of a man who counted his millions by hundreds, of a man who, notwithstanding his great wealth, still found time to be a good fellow, of an athlete, a sportsman, in short and in a word, a gentleman. It was also the name of a man whom Nick Carter counted among his personal and intimate friends, but Joseph was not aware of that fact when he threw open the door and announced the caller. He had taken the card to his master a moment before in his study, and had been directed to, "'Show the gentleman here, Joseph,' and Joseph knew that only persons who were privileged indeed were ever permitted to enter Nick Carter's study. Nick wore his housecoat, a short smoking jacket, and had been engaged in consuming his after-breakfast cigar while he read the papers when the caller was announced. "'Hello, Nick,' was the greeting he received from Kane. "'I got up before breakfast this morning, as you will observe. "'What time is it, anyhow?' he added as he dropped into a chair which the detective indicated to him and pulled out his watch. "'Not yet eight o'clock, eh? Have you had your breakfast?' "'An hour ago,' replied the detective. "'Have you got anything doing today?' "'No, I was just congratulating myself that I had not. "'All my assistants are out, however, so I can hardly call myself carefree. "'I never am, you know. Yes, I know. "'Say, old chap, the go-along,' he referred to his palatial steam yacht, "'is lying at the dock over at the foot at West 23rd Street waiting for us, "'and I want you to go aboard with me, will you?' "'I'd like to do so, Kane,' replied the detective.' But there are several things here which I ought to give my attention today, now that I have a few moments at my disposal in which to do so. You see, hold on, Nick, I haven't finished yet. Well, go ahead, then. This is a business proposition I'm making. I was boarded by pirates last night, and I want to see if you can't catch them. Boarded by what? Pirates. P-I-R-A-T-E-S. Pirates. The real thing, too. Honest engine, Nick. Did you ever read Cooper's Red Rover? Well, I could take my oath that he has risen from the bottom of the sea and resumed business at the old stand. I hope to goodness he won't hear me. He might think I am joking, and I was never more in dead earnest in my life. Do you mean that the go-along was boarded by pirates? Really? Do I mean it, huh? Can't you see that I've lost flesh? It takes a pretty good-sized man with a mighty big proposition on his side of the question to scare me, Nick, as you are well aware. But that pirate chap did the act without a hitch. I haven't gotten over it yet. You aren't trying one of your jokes on me, are you, Kane? No. On my honor, no. Well, tell me about it. Not here, old man. Come aboard the yacht. I'd rather tell you there. You see, that is what I've come here for. When this thing happened, I said to my wife and her sister, they are aboard the go-along with me, you know. I told them that there was only one thing for us to do, and that was to hurry to the city and find you. And so, if you don't mind, and you have just admitted you can spare the time, I'll take you aboard with me now, and you can hear the whole story there all at once. I won't affront you by offering you anything for your services, but all the same, if it were a question of bidding against another client in order to secure you today, I'd outbid Standard Oil. Can I put it any stronger than that, Nick? Well, not very well. And you'll come, huh? For friendship's sake? Yes, I'll be with you in a moment. Wait here. 
The detective left the room, but presently he returned, ready for the street, and without more delay the two friends left the house together. "'I came across in a car,' said Kane. "'You don't mind, do you?' They boarded a westbound 23rd Street car, and in a short time were aboard the sumptuous yacht which was waiting to receive them. As soon as their feet were pressed upon the deck, the plank was drawn in, the lines cast off, and they had not advanced to the awning under which Kane's wife and two guests were seated while awaiting them before the yacht was backing out into the river. "'I found him, as you see,' said Kane, advancing rapidly. "'Caught him alone, too, with nothing to do. Think of that. "'Carter, have you ever met my wife's sister? "'Here she is, Miss Bessie Harlan. "'If I hadn't asked my wife to marry me before I met her sister, "'it would have been a toss-up between them. "'Now, I couldn't pay Bessie a greater compliment than that, could I? "'And this is Count Jean de Cadillac. "'I made the Count's acquaintance in Paris last winter. "'We were quite chummy there, and when he showed up over here a couple of weeks ago—' "'We became even chummier,' interrupted the Count, "'with a smile speaking in perfect English, "'and smiling so that he showed his perfect white teeth. "'He was a handsome man, too, this Count Cadillac, "'with his shining black eyes, blacker mustache, "'and imperial gleaming teeth and clear white skin. "'And his manners were faultless, "'his dress perfect, without being foppish. "'Nick greeted Mrs. Kane and acknowledged the introduction "'while the yacht was backing into the river, "'and then turning to Kane while he accepted one of the jet chairs, he remarked. Now, Max, give us the pirate story. You will understand before I finish, said Kane, why I insisted upon your coming here before I told it. I wanted witnesses to support my statements, for I have an idea you wouldn't believe my unsupported word about this affair. Oh, yes. Wait. You haven't heard the story yet. It's really the most incredible thing you ever heard of, from beginning to end. I'll give you my word that I wouldn't believe a word of it if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. It begins promisingly, said Nick. You wait. We left Newport yesterday about noon, I think, between noon and one o'clock. We loafed along, for nobody was in a hurry, and last night, late in the evening, we ran in at the American Yacht Club Anchorage. You know where that is, huh? Yes. We ran in there and anchored for the night. We were intending to go ashore to call upon some friends who lived there, said Mrs. Kane, but we found that it was too late when we arrived, so we gave it up. It was a beautiful night, continued Kane, warm and as nearly as perfect as it could be made. We sat out here on the deck until almost one o'clock before anybody thought of turning in. You see, Carter, it happened that we were alone at the anchorage. I don't suppose that thing would happen again in a dozen summers, but it happened last night, all right. I liked it, said Bessie Harlan. It was a change. Well, continued Kane, the sound was as smooth as glass. There wasn't a ripple anywhere, and, and the moon was just heavenly, interrupted Bessie again, but Kane did not even turn his eyes in her direction. I came back on deck after the others turned in, he continued. I wasn't sleepy, the night was beautiful, and I wanted to smoke another cigar all by my little lonesome. So I sat here, right where I am seated now, lighted my cigar and smoked. I'm going to take you right back to that anchorage, Carter, so that you can see things just as they are, so far as the surroundings are concerned. We're headed there now. Well, that is a good idea, said Nick. Well, my cigar was something more than half smoked, and as I'm a slow smoker... It must have been something like half an hour after I was alone before anything happened, and then it all happened so suddenly that it was on me before I knew it. What was, asked the detective. The pirate. Wait. I'm waiting. The fellow made his approach from behind, which would account for my not seeing him or his craft until he was right there on the deck, so to speak. But I don't think that would have account for my not hearing him, do you? You might have been dozing in your chair, suggested Nick. Bosh! I was never wider awake in my life. You were doubtless so absorbed in what you were thinking about that you paid no attention to your surroundings. That's all bosh, too. I was just as alert as I ever am, 
as I always am, and I'm not generally known as a sleeper or a dreamer either. That's quite true, Kane. I was just as wide awake as I am now. I was just as much on the alert as I am now. The night was so still, and the yacht and everything aboard her was so silent that I could have heard a tack drop the whole length of the go-along. But the fact remains all the same that I did not hear a sound. I was seated right here in this position and in the same chair, looking off, as you observe, almost astern. The bow of the yacht was pointed toward the open sound, for the tide was coming in. My cigar was on the last quarter. Well, I told you that once already, but never mind. And I had about made up my mind to light a fresh one, when I discovered that I hadn't another one in my pocket and would have to go below to get it. Well, that settled it. If I had felt any doubt about smoking another cigar, the discovery of the fact that I had not another one in my position made me want nothing on earth so much as that cigar. So I rose to go below. You will observe from my present position that I was obliged to turn in order to do so. The companionway is behind me. I got up, stretched myself, chucked my two-thirds smoked cigar into the water, and turned. He paused as if to give emphasis to the concluding statement, and after a moment of silence the detective said, Well, what then? The pirate stood directly in front of me. On the deck of your own yacht, of this yacht, exactly right there on that spot, and Cain pointed with his finger toward a point on the deck directly in front of him, for he had risen while he was speaking in order to act out this dramatic incident of his story. Was he alone? asked Nick. No, there were six others directly behind him. Six others, exclaimed the detective. Do you mean to tell me that seven men had succeeded in coming aboard your yacht in the bright moonlight when the sound was as smooth as glass and the night was as still as a church without rousing you, although you sat there on the deck smoking? That is exactly what they did do. Well, how did they get aboard? To answer that question now is to get ahead of my story, said Kane. I would rather tell you about it as it happened, incident for incident. All right, go ahead. You could have knocked me out with a crow's feather when I discovered them, continued Kane. I hadn't a leg left to stand on, Carter. I opened my mouth to speak. I haven't the least idea what I intended to say, though, when the chief pirate raised one hand and touched his fingers to his lips which you construed as a command for you to remain silent? I think that gesture is so construed all over the world, isn't it? Quite so. Well, what next? You see, Carter, I knew by their appearance that they were robbers. It did strike me for an instance that the whole thing was some huge joke which somebody had put up on me, but I was quickly undeceived on that point. What was their appearance? Here is where I'm going to test your credulity, old man, but my wife and friends can testify that I tell you the truth. So they saw the pirates, too, Yes, as you shall hear. Well, about their appearance, or how they appeared, huh? That part of the comedy seemed to impress you. It did, and it was no comedy either, I'll beg you to understand. Carter, the pirate chief, was dressed in red from head to feet, and he looked as if he might have stepped down out of a Shakespeare tragedy as far as the cut of his costume was concerned. I think if you were to dress Romeo in red, you would get the proper idea, eh, Count? What do you say? I think you've given a very good description, replied the Count. And the other six, asked Nick, were they dressed the same? No, indeed. They were only common truck alongside their master, I suppose. At all events, they appeared in ordinary black. Every man jack of them wore a half-mask over his features. The chief's mask was red, like his costume. Those of his men were black, the same as their costumes. They also wore rather tight-fitting caps on their heads. But the chief wore a regular Romeo hat with an eagle's feather stuck in it. Hmm, said Nick, makes quite a picture. You'd have thought so if you'd been in my place, Carter. I don't know whether I was scared, amused, angry, or bored. But I didn't have time to analyze my sentiments either, 
but when the chief touched his lips with his finger to signal me that he preferred that I should keep quiet, he remarked quite calmly and in a perfectly normal tone, I don't suppose you would needlessly to frighten the ladies, do you? Well, no, I replied, I can't say that I do. They have retired, however, and we need not to disturb them. On the contrary, my friend, he said, it will be necessary that they are disturbed. But I am fond of the ladies. I do not like to frighten them needlessly. Then again, sometimes they faint away or scream, and that offends me. Indeed, I said, have I by mistake been smoking on the deck of your yacht instead of my own? I intended that for sarcasm, Nick, but it fell flat. He didn't see the point at all, for he replied calmly that I would find things much more to my taste for a few moments if I would take that view of it. You may consider the go-along as my property for the next half hour, he said. Were they armed? asked Nick. The pirates said they were, and I have no doubt that they were, although I saw no sign of weapons of any kind, save that the chief wore a short, straight sword at his side, and while he talked to me, he let his hand rest upon it, as if to call my attention to that fact. Well, what happened next? Well, when he said that I could look upon the yacht as his property for the next half hour or so, I didn't seem to have any fitting argument with which to reply to him, so I remained silent. His next question was rather more to the point. What was it? He asked me plainly how much money I happened to have aboard the yacht, and he added, If you tell the truth about it, it will save us both considerable trouble. Oh, I suppose there are a couple of thousand dollars here, all told, I answered him. Very good, he said. There are also some thousands of dollars worth of silverware and goldware, isn't there? Yes, I admitted. And some very valuable cups which you have won as trophies from time to time, eh? Why, yes, of course, but you wouldn't be so low down as to take them, would you? I demanded. He laughed at that as he considered it a good joke, and he replied that he thought that part of the matter might be arranged satisfactorily. I didn't see it, but I suppose he did, and the sequel proved that he did too. Well, I'm waiting for the sequel. What happened next? He said to me, Mr. Kane, you will oblige me by considering that for the moment I am master of this yacht, and you will, therefore, obey such orders as I give you. You need not look forward in the hope of that any of your crew is astir, for they are all asleep below save once. He was on watch and is now lying bound and gagged in the bow. All right, I said. What are your orders, Mr. Rover? You seem to have the drop on me, and I'll take my medicine with a smile. Speak up. Don't be bashful. I have already informed you, he replied, without taking any notice of my facetiousness, that it would be a pity to frighten the ladies. It is, however, necessary that they should be called to the deck, as I care as little to affront them as I do to frighten them. Why not leave them where they are, then, I asked. Because it is necessary to make a somewhat thorough search of their sleeping quarters. I have come here to obtain their valuables, as well as your own, he continued, and it would be decidedly ungentlemanly for me to do so without first having them called away. Well, that was real considerate of him, don't you think so, Mr. Carter? asked Mrs. Kane. Why, yes, but how did he carry out the idea? He merely ordered me to go below and call them. He directed me to tell them that a party of gentlemen had called unexpectedly, and that I insisted upon their coming on deck at once in order that they might meet with a great surprise, and they would have promised me that they were not to be frightened no matter what they saw. That, he assured me, will arouse their curiosity, so that they will not consider it a bore to dress themselves up again and do as you ask. You see, he knows something about women, that chap. Did he go below again? asked the detective. Nay, nay, not on your life. The pirate stuck close beside me all the while, and he held that naked flat sword in his hand, too. I didn't like the looks of it one bit. So you called your wife and sister, eh? Yes, and the Count. 
Didn't they protest? Protest? I should say so. My wife flatly refused to come at first, and she wouldn't have come either if I hadn't told her that the whole blooming push would come down here and pull her out willy-nilly if she didn't obey. Bessie didn't raise a kick. She thought there was some fun on hand, and she's always right for that sort of thing. The Count swore like a... Now it is my turn to protest, Kane, said the Count. Well, I heard you, and it did me good, for I wanted to do a little swearing myself. I'd never felt quite so small in my life as I did just then. Well, Nick, after I did the calling, we returned to the deck. The pirates' followers had not moved from their position in line, and they didn't until the chief waved his hand. And then they fell apart into groups, for all the world as if they were a lot of guests whom I had invited to the yacht. But he didn't join them, not he. Instead, he dropped into that chair where the countess seated and said coolly, Mr. Kane, I am Captain Sparkle. When your guests come on deck, I will thank you to present me to them. End of chapter 1